All right, I want everybody to uh, hold on to something. Grab on to the pews, grab on to the person you're with, grab on to your belt, whatever you got to grab on to. Because Luke is about to read from the book of Revelation. Oh my goodness. Yes, he is. Most of us, when we hear we're going to hear a reading from the book of Revelation, we get all kinds of worried. Because we have been taught for so long what to think about this book. And I want to tell you that, very simply, the book of Revelation is exactly that. It is one revelation. It is not a plural word. It's revelation. And it comes out of a vision that was given to the author of this book. The while it goes through an awful lot of pretty amazing images and symbols, most of which we really don't understand and were never intended to understand because they were, in fact, written to be code. The book comes out with one final truth. And it's positioned in the Bible where it is for this simple reason. In the end, God wins. And the chapter and verse that Luke is going to read to you from right now is a picture of that victory. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The word of God for the people of God. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Help us here today, God, what you alone want us to hear. Help us to not be distracted from thoughts within or 
anything that would keep us from encountering your presence in our life and allowing us to live more faithfully tomorrow, sharing in the blessing and the joy and the call to service. May you bless this time together in the name of Christ. Amen. The Bible is far more comfortable talking about death than we are. As you go through the scriptures, you'll find that the biblical writers and the people they were writing to in their own generation understood that death was a natural part of life. They, they talked about it, they assumed it, and because the Bible spans centuries of human understanding, the concept of death and afterlife um, changes throughout scripture. Which is why you always have to be careful when you're going to the Bible to find out about the afterlife because you have to put it in context of what's going on in the rest of the scripture. The Bible talks about death frequently because for most of those represented in the scriptural writings, death was a part of the journey. It's part of reality, no different than going to picnic tomorrow or having breakfast this morning. And they live very close to it. You and I both know that even not that long ago in a rural agricultural society we used to be, we lived with death close by. We, I was raised in a rural town that still remembered when people, when they passed away, their bodies would be held in state in the living room of the house they lived in. Now, we try to remove death as far away from our natural order of life as possible which has also led us to have some conflicts to know what to say when asked about death and life after death, because the truth is, while some of us think about it a lot, we don't study on it very much. And we're more common to taking what we've heard. Well, you know what happens when you take what you've heard. You may, in fact, end up with something that gets you to nothing close to the truth. So I want to take a few minutes today with you and talk with you about the afterlife, death and the afterlife. Now, I want you to be real clear. If you're uncomfortable with this topic, you're in really good company. The disciples were very uncomfortable with it. In Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. Anyone accept the fact that Jesus told them over and over again, you guys get the fact that I'm going to die, right? Well, I, I have some sense about how that's going to happen. I want to make sure you're informed. I want you to be prepared for it. I want you to know what it means. I want you to know what, what's going to happen. And they couldn't even accept it. Peter was not comfortable with it. And in denying the fact that Christ was going to die, Jesus here rebukes Peter, who was used to being rebuked, by the way. Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. His human heart didn't want Jesus to die. But Jesus knew something that Peter forgot. According to statistics, 100% of us will die. We've been looking to find the variance to that, but so far it seems to be holding true that 100% of us will die. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what some of that looks like. 
I expect that we all have some understanding or images or thoughts that we have about the afterlife. Where do we normally discover them? When we're asked a question about them by a child. One day, Annabelle's going to be old enough to say to one of the people here in the front row or in the second row, maybe one of you out there, so what happens after we die? What do we normally say? What are some images we give to children when they ask the question? Well, heaven's got a big pearly gate, and the streets are paved with gold, and they play your favorite music 24-7, and you can eat all the junk food you want and never get cavities or gain a pound. Amen. Who wants to go to heaven? Right? We use images that we've heard of from, well, from a lot of sources. And quite frankly, the truth is, if we were to really be pushed, well, what source are you getting that from? We don't remember anymore. We just collectively hear things that have been said about it. We go, I like that one, and I like that one, and I don't like that one. So we shape our conversation in that manner. Or we go the other way. And we say, you know, the truth is, no one knows. I mean, no one's been there and come back except Jesus. And so, allowing for that exception, no one's an expert. So, really, no one has anything to say on the matter. But that's not quite true either. Because we have been taught things about life after death, and we've had experiences of walking with people through their dying. Now, I've been, I guess, blessed. When I was a young child, I spent a lot of time in funeral homes. My father was 21 years younger than his sister, and my grandmother was in her late 40s when Dad was born. So as a result, I was in a lot of funeral homes for cousins and uncles and aunts who were passing away. I spent a lot of time in a funeral home, so I'm pretty comfortable there. I, I keep saying to Winston Coates that when I retire, I want to go work there as one of those greeters at the front door. I could do that. But the reality is, is that most of us don't live that close to death or that frequently. I've been with people who, well into their life, have never been to a funeral before. But the scriptures do say to us some things we can understand about life after death. And so as a result, I thought about going on for many hours today about this topic. I want to share with you a couple of quick thoughts, and then I'm going to invite, in a few minutes, Angie to come forward to share some questions that I've been asked over the years by people of different ages about life after death. We'll see if we get some of yours. But here's some of the real basic things I want you to know before we do those Q&As. The first is that death is real. And to begin to understand that, it seems like, well, of course it's real. Well, but do you really accept that it's real? Do you accept that death is as real to our life as any other experience? It is a place where I have been with others where it has been both a time of immense joy and holy blessing and horrific tragedy and pain. That's life. To begin to talk about death and and anticipate our own death as a reality that it is real and begin to own that truth, allows us to approach it in a different way than where we often think, well, let's not think about it. You know what happens to those things about what we don't choose to think about? They overwhelm us, they shock us, and we are ill-prepared when they arrive. 
Second thing I want you to know, basic premise, is that God is present in our life, in our death, and beyond. Here's a simple truth I'm going to tell you. This is real basic stuff. I'm not thinking I'm overwhelming you, but I've been overwhelmed every time I've seen it. When I've been with people in their dying, the places where it has been the most beautiful is when they were as comfortable with the God they lived with as the God they're with in the middle of the dying. They had confidence in God. They had confidence in the promises of God. They had confidence in their experience of Christ, and they knew that even as they were dying, Christ was a part of that journey. They weren't having to seek God out because they'd been walking with God for so long. God has been a part of the most powerful Moments in death that I have ever experienced in a way that it's not up for me as a preacher to define it. It's known by everybody in the room. Three, if Christ is your focus in this life, then you don't need to worry about what your focus will be in the next life. It's that simple. Am I confident in the one I'm walking with today? If I am then I will be confident for God and Christ to walk with me after death, and I don't worry about the details too much. And I want, lastly want to share this. Death for us can become a place of peace. Living with anxiety from day to day is a part of the human experience. Some of us are overwhelmed by anxiety, sometimes all the time, sometimes the special moments in our life. But to have an assurance that life has its place, and it is a holy place, and it is not to be rushed through or wasted or prematurely ended. But when it does come to an end, the journey of our life and our faith goes on, and the assurance of the specifics, at least of a relationship with a God who loves us. It is not a temporal love that God has for us. It's an eternal love. Now, how do I know that? Well, the Bible tells me so. But the reality is, how I really know that is because the Bible tells me so, and I've seen it manifested in the lives of brothers and sisters throughout my life, including in my own. I may not know much. But I know that God in Christ has this amazing, powerful grace that's beyond my understanding and will continue long into eternity. Well, I've got a few other things I want to say, but I want to ask Angie to come forward right now and, to, and if you'd be willing to share me some of the questions that I've been asked over the years. I'd be glad to have some fun with you. The good ones. I was going to say, I'm sure. <laughs> I have had dogs that I can tell you are definitely not. I have a couple of good pets that I know will be in. Here's the reality. The Bible tells us that God comes to the earth and, and creates a new thing and brings the earth unto himself. So when I look at a child who asks a question, or quite frankly, how many of us have grieved deeply the loss of a pet as an adult? Here's what I say to those moments. If God's going to come back to the earth and make a new creation out of this, this world, it seems to me to make perfect sense to believe that all of this world will be redeemed by God's grace and love. So I look bold-faced in the face of children who ask me a question, and I say, yes. And the nasty pets become good pets. 
That's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Go ahead. I like it. Okay. Okay. Is there a heaven and hell? And if so, what are they like? When people ask that question, I think they're really asking two things. Is there something after this life? And secondly, is there that really dichotomy of good and bad place, heaven and hell? The two reasons that I say, yes, there's life after death, is because, one, scriptures are very clear to tell me that in a variety of ways. The other is because of my experience and experience of others who have had relationship with people after they have passed. Now, I'm not being all weird here. I'm not trying to say some... I'm just telling you that in the times of, of I've been with people, and in my own experience, I've had the closeness of the presence of the persons that I have loved who have gone on in death in a way that transcends psychology or medication. I can also tell you, as one who sat by a lot of bedsides, I've, I've been present to a lot of deaths. So and let me tell you this. If there's anything about ministry that allows you a blessing, it is to be with people in their most sacred moments of life, like the one I had with Annabelle a few minutes ago, and the ones that I have with people when they pass away. To be present to someone as they're dying and walk them out of this world is a holy place. And in more and more places and times than I can count, the person dying, maybe up to several days before the death, is in a very clear conversation that I'm not party to. Any of you ever experienced that? There is a connection and a conversation going on, and you will never, never, never get me to believe it's because of the medication or what's going on with them psychologically because the consistency from person to person is so strong in my experience. So yes, there is life after death. Is there a place of punishment and a place of blessing? The answer is yes, I believe that. Because if God is truly God, then God is both going to bless and receive those who come unto him and also going to set the world right. I believe our consequences follow us into the next life. I believe if I'm not walking with God now, I'm not walking with God after I die. So yes, I do believe there too. Those of you who know me well, and this is where I'll get kicked out of the church, is that I don't think hell is permanent. I think that there's some sense of the fact that I have to, be, I have to confess, I, I have to get it right, I have to... Something happens for folks who, who, need, who need to get transformed. But here's my simple equation. Whatever the sin I've committed, and I want you to make me the most heinous sinner of all time, whatever sin I've committed, put me into eternity, into eternity, in the light of God's immeasurable grace and love. Who's going to win that battle? In eternity. I believe one day God wins out over everything. But yes, I do believe there's a heaven and a hell. You started to talk about, um, you mentioned that you've been with people many, many times at bedside as they're dying. So um, the next question is, what happens in the moment of our death? Simple word. What happens in the moment of our death is transition. We transition from this life to the next. And the Bible talks about that in some different ways. How many of you believe that you immediately rush into heaven and... And, and start playing golf or whatever. I mean, how, many, how many of you think you go right to heaven? <laughs> you go no, Jim, you don't get to select which door you're going into. That's done for you. 
Um, the reality is, is that most Christians, I think, believe, you know, the minute we death, we're, we're up partying with the, with the saints. Well, the real reality is the Bible actually talks about the fact that seems to suggest, in large part, that we go to a sleep. Now, there are exceptions. The thief on the cross, Jesus turns to him and says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So I'm not saying you're wrong in thinking that. I'm just giving you different understandings. Some of Scripture, a good portion of the New Testament, including the way Jesus talks, seem to suggest that one goes to sleep until a time when we are all awakened. That's why when Jairus' daughter dies and he calls for Jesus to come heal her, Jesus comes to heal her, and they all say, oh, but she's dead, you can't do anything. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead, she's asleep. It isn't because Jesus was stupid. It's because Jesus believed that when you died, you go into a, a sleep that you would get awakened from. Now, how do I think of that? How many of you have had surgery? How many of you have had anesthetic where you go to sleep before you even know it? Count, count to ten. One. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're awake in the operating room. Right? Now, something's been going on between those two moments, but I'm not aware of it. So when I think about that sleep that I'm going to go into in death, and this is the way I think about it, I'm going, thank God, I finally get some rest. And for me, it won't feel like anything longer than the anesthetic during surgery, because, boom, I'm going to wake up into a place that God has already prepared for all of us, and we are all at that moment going to be there together. I don't think there's waiting in heaven for those who are on earth to catch up to us. I think I go to sleep, I wake up, and we're all together. And that's good news. Next question. Will I have a body in heaven, or will I only be a spirit? Well, scriptures are pretty clear that we believe in bodily resurrection. I don't even know what that really means, though. I'm hoping I get a better body than the one I go out in. (laughs) Can I get an amen, church? You know, not only do I want to have the body I had in my youth, I want to have the body I wanted to have in my youth. Right? Um, So I don't exactly know what that's going to look like, but Jesus is pretty clear to say in the Gospel of John that I'm coming coming to you to prepare a place for you, that there you will come and be with me. And it feels to me like there is both a sense of a personal place for us and that not only was this kind of the spirit kind of thing floating, but there really is a presence of the Kim Bishop in heaven and that that's more than just spirit, but it has something to do with the bodily resurrection. I don't know what the body will look like. But I do trust uh, that we will be able to know each other in heaven. I'm looking forward to, and I do not think it's silly or in, in, um, against Scripture to say, in heaven I want to go be with so-and-so. I believe that option is there for us. I think it will happen. I just have to share this. You go right ahead. You shouldn't have trusted me. I, I know. I knew this was going to happen. Sorry. You're good. Um, my college-age daughter, Katie, and I, recently um, had a conversation about where we would be sitting in the choir in heaven. <laughs> and this conversation of, will I sit with the altos or will I sit with the sopranos or will we be all mixed up? So we'll work on that. Okay, good deal. So, we're expecting a body of some kind. Okay. Next question. We, we often hear this statement when somebody dies that they've gone on to a better place. Yep. So the question is, is death better than life? There are stages of life that you're wise to richly embrace at that moment of your life. And then you have other stages of your life that you're wise to richly embrace. 
What I mean by that is, is that life has various chapters to it, and no chapter is better than the other chapter, but they are radically different, right? The chapter that I'm in today, in my 60s with grandchildren, is different than the chapter I was in when I was 27. Which is better? Neither. They are different. And I think life and death both have their very distinctive characteristics and blessing, and to live into them is exactly what God intends. So I don't see it as better or worse than. I just see it as this was where I am now, where God has placed me, and if God has placed me there, it's a good thing. So that leads us into what will we do in heaven besides the choir? Sure. Or the other place. Or how? H-E-double H-E-double toothpicks. That's right. So here it is. Scriptures are pretty clear that in heaven we get to have eternal worship. So for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity, you get to hear Rick Dake preach. <laughs> or Leslie Wills play the organ. Or the you know, once in a while. That's right. While you're there, you may be wondering which place you ended up, but the fact is, that's what's going on. You know, God, deliver me from a place where I sit on a cloud plucking a harp, worshiping 24-7. If I think worship is confined to what we do on Sunday morning. That if worship is what worship really is, which is wherever we are, getting a chance to praise God, to be in a community of lively folks doing amazing things, serving and caring for each other, which is what worship is supposed to be, yeah, I'm glad to be there. Do I think I'm going to play eternal golf or fly fish eternally? I really don't, because I think God's got something even better than that for me. But if every once in a while I get to go play 18, I'll be okay with that. So the reality is, it's about relationship. It's always about relationship. And we will be in relationship with each other and with God in an amazing way, in a way more amazing than what we have here. I really do believe that's what I think I can trust in. Last question. Okay. I think you may have just answered it, actually. Okay. But I'll let you Go right ahead. state it if you yep. choose to. And that last question is, do I still have a relationship between those who have died? But I think that question means, now, do I have a relationship still yeah. with the person I love who has died? Grief is real, and we need to honor people's grief. And we need to not make light of the fact when someone dies, our world changes, and grief is painful. And we need to give people space to grieve for as long as they need to grieve. Don't come to me when the people I love the most die and say, well, you're still with them. No, I'm not the way I want to be. I have to acknowledge that. But I also want to say this. Grief, I mean, sorry, death changes relationship but does not end them. Grief is necessary to go through for me to figure out how I can live in this world now without that other person in my life. That's real. And the faith community is called to be around those people and lovingly care for them as long as it takes. But I've already suggested to you I'm very much in relationship with folks who have gone on. I don't mean that I see visions at night. I'm not saying that. Maybe you do. What I am saying is, is I've been with people who have had bad relationships, and after the person dies, they feel like they can't ever be forgiven. The answer is you can be forgiven still. 
You can even forgive them. You can be in relationship with each other. Even after people die, I do believe that to be true. And as I stand here today after my 12th year, I can tell you there are people who sat in the pews next to you who aren't here anymore. And I really believe that I'm in relationship with them as you are. And I really do believe when the scriptures say we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses because they are here with us in worship. Which is why when we worship, we take attendance of who's in the room, but we never get the full count because we're worshiping with the entire church. I just wanted to share with you some thoughts today about life and death. I'm not suggesting that you've got all your answers answered, and I'd love for you to go ahead and send me some emails, and we'll have dialogue, and you're saying, well, how does Rick know anything more than I do? I've never suggested to you on any topic I know more than what you do. What I do suggest to you is I at least bring it to you out of studying Scripture and the best discernment I have, and I'd be glad for you and I to enter into more dialogue on this. You can email me. You can text me. You can be in communication with me about it. All I'm going to tell you end with is this. I hope that you'll be thinking about life and death enough so that you'll know that it's real and you and I will become a part of the understanding. It's an expression of our faith so that we can one day, when we come to a funeral service, whether it's ours or someone else's, we can legitimately pray the liturgy that says this. O God who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear us than we are to pray. You know our needs before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death we may see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death and help us to live as those who are prepared to die so that whether we are living or dying, whether our days are full and complete or still unfulfilled, our life will be in you, and that nothing in life or in death will ever be able to separate us from the great love we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is my deepest prayer that the day of my death, if I get to orchestrate it, we all have our fantasies, right? that I'll be surrounded by the people I love the most, that we will have time to tell each other how much we love each other, and that I'll be able to remember the words of John Wesley. The best of all, God is with us. The best of all, God will always be with us.